Oh yeah, I finally got a job. I'm the king of Atlantis. Half a billion people from every known species in the sea call this place home. So five years and $200 million later and this, this movie is what we get. I mean, okay. So I come to you lovely folks from my in-laws guest room since I'm traveling for the holidays to discuss Aquaman 2 or Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which has just released. And by the way, I do apologize for my setup. I'm trying some new equipment that hopefully is more mobile than what I used to bring, but I like... I don't know what's going on with this mic. I don't think it's supposed to be handheld. Pretty sure it's meant to sit on a desk. I don't have a desk. And also I did bring a ring light in the hope of having semi-decent uh, lighting. But then of course the light bulb in the room that I'm in has just burnt out because of course, why, why, why wouldn't it do that right when I'm about to film a video? But in any case, let's talk about this film. And in case you guys are new here, just a heads up. If you haven't seen this movie yet and you don't want any spoilers, then I would say pause this video and come back to it later because we are gonna be getting into specifics as to what exactly happens in the plot. So Aquaman 2 starts up years after the events of the first film, which, you know, makes a lot of sense because we are literally now years and years and years after the first film. Aquaman, or Arthur, is now married to Mira and the two have a young son together. And Arthur is currently the ruling king of Atlantis and he splits his time between the land and the sea. And you see, this information is actually revealed to us, uh, the audience, via montage with a voiceover. Four years ago, I was basically unemployed. Wanderer with no home. But now I'm a husband and a father. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Now I personally thought that this almost breaking the fourth wall, like having Arthur speak to the audience directly was kind of a strange choice. It just didn't really fit the overall tone of the film considering that at no other point does Arthur do this type of narration. And I mean, it's not like that expository information couldn't have very easily been delivered to the audience without that voiceover. I mean, how hard would it have been to simply have a scene where Arthur is in Atlantis ruling as king and then he returns home to his son and Mira on the land. Boom, done. If I had a guess as to why they decided to go the more stupid, clunky, awkward route, it's either because A, they assume the audience is too stupid to pick up on subtle context clues, or B, they were trying to minimize Amber Heard's screen time and dialogue as much as possible and thought it would be more palatable to the audience who probably isn't a huge fan of hers to simply see flashes of her on screen rather than have her speaking directly to Arthur. Was this the right call? In my opinion, no. But we continue with the film. It isn't too long until we are introduced, or shall I say reintroduced, to the film's main antagonist, David Kane, aka Black Manta. And I say reintroduced here because Kane actually does appear in the first film, although you'd be forgiven for not remembering that since it was like, you know, five years ago. And you see Kane has sworn a vendetta against Arthur because of his role in his father's death. And to that end, he is scouring the world looking for Atlantean tech that can help him take Arthur down. And it is actually during the search that he finds himself, as one does, in Antarctica, where he stumbles across a long lost kingdom, maybe even the one from the title, where he finds a black trident that glows green. And obviously, I mean, long lost ancient city weapon that is glowing. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> Nothing. So. 
obviously you're going to want to pick that up and touch it as much as possible with your bare hands. So yeah, upon touching this trident, Kane is connected uh, telepathically, basically, to the Ghost King that centuries and centuries ago used to rule over this lost kingdom. And this dead evil Ghost King, as is surprisingly often the case, he promises to give Kane power and help him take down Aquaman if in return he helps to unleash the Ghost King's kingdom, which is currently trapped under ice. Kane will have to do the unthinkable, you see, to unleash the Ghost King's kingdom, he will have to emit a ridiculous amount of greenhouse gases. And you may be rolling your eyes here saying like, Lauren, are you being hyperbolic? Are you being cheeky? But no, it's actually, it's explicitly described in the film that Kane's evil master plan involves increasing greenhouse gas emissions in order to melt the polar ice caps. Yeah, if, uh, if you were hoping for a film that was light on the message or that was good, sadly, <laughs> This is not it. But anyway, to accomplish their evil plan, the Ghost King gives Kane a bunch of his ancient yet also more advanced technology. And you see this technology is powered by an ancient lost energy source called Orichalcum. And you see this Orichalcum stuff it's basically the equivalent of like a million Taylor Swift private jets flying around, i.e. it's super bad for the environment. And not only does this old Ghost King's technology that he's given Kane run on this stuff, but in order to accelerate global warming so this evil kingdom can basically become thawed, they are straight up just burning that stuff. Like not even using it to try to power anything, like just full on burning it without purpose, basically trying to make all those Extinction Rebellion folks cry. So they carry on with this for like five months during which time the planet measurably warms and there's a bunch of crazy climate stuff going on. But their plan isn't actually discovered until that is they cross the Atlanteans. Because you see the Atlanteans, they used to use Orichalcum too way back in the day, but they stopped once they realized how bad it was for the planet. Again, super subtle messaging here. Maybe the film is trying to send us some sort of message there, we can't be sure. But since this Orichalcum is so dangerous, it can't actually be destroyed. The ancient Atlanteans are forced to basically just bury it and hide it away. And so it is breaking into these ancient Atlantean orichalcum deposits that eventually Kane is discovered. So obviously now Arthur needs to work to stop Kane from destroying the planet, but how's he gonna do that? Well, obviously by teaming up with his estranged half-brother Orm. And what I thought was funny as I was seeing this film is that considering how I mean, honestly, evil Orm is during the first movie. I mean, he's basically genocidal, wanting to wipe out the surface. You would think that turning to him for help would be like this last ditch effort after they've exhausted every other possibility. But no, they suggest going to him for help almost immediately. It's like, okay, I mean, I know that they need to get together for the movie to happen, but still. Once more, considering how bad he was in the first movie, a little more reticence was probably in order. Although I say that, heck, it has been five years and maybe they've all moved on. So anyway, Arthur breaks Orm out of prison. And I have to say, I do like Orm's involvement in this film just because I'm always someone who prefers a plot focusing on platonic or brotherly love rather than romantic love. It's just more interesting and almost universal in my opinion. But if you were hoping that this film would be some sort of redemption arc for Orm, uh, you're gonna be disappointed, not because Orm isn't redeemed in this film, more so because there's not really an arc to his redemption. Right from when he's broken out of prison, if not even before then, like the first time he appears on screen, Orm is already this new transformed, totally good dude. It would've been cool to see him grapple with the darker parts of his personality a little bit more, in my opinion. But hey, you know what? It has been five years. Can we really be surprised that that development already happened off screen? So Orm and Arthur working together to track Kane down and then fight him, that does take 
take up the bulk of the film. And eventually things culminate in Kane stealing Aquaman's son, Aqua Baby, if you will, in the hopes of sacrificing him to undo the blood magic that is currently keeping the Ghost King trapped. Because yeah, it's not just physical ice that's keeping him trapped, it's also blood magic, apparently. I guess the guys who defeated him just wanted to be like super 100% sure he was never gonna get out. I'm guessing that encapsulating in ice plus blood magic was like the two-factor authentication of the day. And so if you've seen my previous videos talking about all the drama that's happened with this film, you'll know that there have been rumors that audience members were walking out of screenings because of a scene involving Aqua Baby being killed. And so being a fan of babies and not wanting them to die, as soon as Aqua Baby appeared on screen, I was kind of nervous just thinking, man, I really hope this baby is not going to be killed, but I'm pleased to report to you all that Aqua Baby does make it. He is not harmed in this film. I don't know if those rumors were just kind of BS or if the reaction to the baby being killed initially was so negative that they actually went back and changed things, but I, I, I don't even care. Either way, just happy that this baby does not die. And it is in this third act when the baby is taken by Kane and they're trying to rescue him and take him down for good that Amber Heard's character Mira does feature way, way more, which is kind of strange in the film because up until then she doesn't really have any lines or on-screen presence, but it's almost like because it's her son, Aqua Baby, that's been captured, the writers couldn't figure out a way of not having her involved more. Maybe people will feel differently if they weren't following all of the drama with the studio and her Johnny Depp case, but as someone who is all too aware of what was happening behind the scenes, personally, I felt like her involvement in the film just really felt all over the place. And in case any of you are wondering, in the five years that we have seen Amber Heard as Mira, no, her, her on-screen chemistry with Jason Momoa has not improved, nor have her acting skills. Eventually though, Orm and Arthur do work together to save the day, to defeat Kane, and the film actually ends with Atlantis revealing themselves to the surface world so they can work together with the humans to combat global warming. And now, here's the thing. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are going to have fun seeing this movie because there are a lot of action scenes and, you know, there's some humor injected in there that could make you chuckle. But overall, I think pretty objectively, this is a stupid movie. I mean, number one, the tone is absolutely everywhere. And tone is something that DC films have always struggled with because I feel like the initial plan, the initial vision for the DCEU was to be darker and grittier than Marvel. But the thing is, everyone loves Marvel, or at least they used to. And Marvel is chock full of comedy and doesn't take itself too seriously, which is like fine, I guess, if you're a DC exec and you want to pivot to that. But the thing is, we already had previous films with Arthur, with Aquaman, and previously, like in the first film or the Snyder Cut, no, he was not just giant Polynesian water Deadpool. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in this film, Arthur's character got a complete facelift. True King builds bridges, right? King builds bridges. I don't dislike comedy in action or drama films. I think it can be very useful to diffuse a situation, but I just feel like the humor that was used here didn't fit in with the universe that they had already created in the first film and slash or the other characters like Orm and Mira even that carried over to this film. I don't know, it just felt clumsy to me. And speaking of clumsy, can we talk about the editing of this film? Obviously we know that this is a movie that has been through production slash development hell. And unfortunately this is one of the cases where I think it's pretty evident from the final product. There are scenes in this movie where Mira appears but doesn't talk and frankly it just makes no sense for her to appear but not talk. Like 
under no other circumstance other than it being Amber Heard and the studio trying to distance itself from her, would her character be on screen but not have lines. There's this one part where Mira is in the hospital and Arthur is going to comfort her and see his wife who almost died and she says nothing. It's just very strange and it's like, Warner, I, I get that you don't want to add fuel to the fire, but if you're going to make the decision that she's going to be in the movie, she's gonna be in the movie. You can't kind of play it both ways. And even aside from her, the involvement of Nicole Kidman's character seems really inconsistent. And there's no reason for it to be. There's no drama surrounding her, but I just feel like it's a result of them having to basically Frankenstein this film in order to make the Amber Heard thing work out, maybe the Aqua Baby death rewrite work out. I feel like all of the reshoots, the rewrites are also why we have that awkward voiceover narration in the beginning. And there's also this other scene, maybe a quarter or a third of the way through the film uh, where this other character, the scientist Shin character, recently also provides more voiceover exposition in the form of like a captain's log type of thing. It's just very clumsily done. I'm not sure if that was bad writing from the get-go or a reshoot to try to make the plot make more sense. Either way, not great though. And that also brings us to the CGI of the movie. Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest came out in 2006, a long time ago, like 17 years ago. And yet, how is it that the CGI in that movie, which yeah, features a lot of underwater creatures, looks so much better than the CGI in this movie. It just doesn't make sense to me. This is an expensive movie, $200 million, but all of the underwater critters look basically uh, like they could be from a cutscene of a video game that came out a decade ago. I mean, don't get me wrong, this isn't like the flash levels of looking terrible, but it's certainly not good. And here's the thing, somehow, I still don't quite understand it, the first Aquaman movie made over a billion dollars, $1.1 billion, if I'm not mistaken. And so I guess that's why the studio felt comfortable saying, yeah, let's take another one and let's spend $200 million on it. I mean, on paper, maybe that makes sense, but considering that it's been five years, <laughs> five years since this last film. There's all this controversy surrounding it regarding Amber Heard. People are talking about boycotting it on social media because she's involved. And also it just, you know, not being that good. I, I'm struggling to see a way that this film makes money. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to be a huge success and surprise everybody like the first one. But I really don't think I am, especially considering that Aquaman, at least Jason Momoa's version of it, he is a lame duck superhero. We all know that there's this big shakeup, that James Gunn has different plans for DCEU going forward. And so it's just like, even best case scenario, if this movie itself, the content had been great, I still don't see it doing well. In any case though, those are my thoughts on the movie. And as always, here's what Papa Chin via Zoom has to say. First of all, I was kind of expected it is an average movie. But after the movie, I really enjoy it. I definitely, I would give it a 7.5 or 7.6. After the movie, I look at the audience, everybody with a smile on the face, they're well satisfied. And I saw some kid, maybe 11, 12 years old, during the movie, they're jumping up and down. That means they really enjoy it. Now, obviously, you have to understand this is not your regular movies, like uh, fiction like that. Actually, it's a fiction, but it is a DC movie. You know, comic? Comic is basically good guys, bad guys, and bad guys got their butt kicked by the good guys. So this movie basically did a very good job, especially for... Christmas season, it emphasized 
the importance of family and brother brotherhood, all that you see in this movie. I personally, I enjoy it. Well, this movie costs quite a bit of money, $200 million. It's five years since the first movie came out, even though that one was successful. Do you think they're going to make their money back? DC has had a lot of problems with profitability. Now, this movie, I think they spent $200 million. This $200 million, in my opinion, global box office is going to bring in at least six or even 700 million. Because, you know, this movie gonna be much better than the first one. Maybe they learn from the first one, the mistakes. This one is well done. And I find the director very creative. If I were an investor, definitely I would invest in Aquaman 3 again. No doubt. Well, DC has had a lot of executive change-ups. It's not looking like there may be an Aquaman 3 just because of the change in leadership. Um, what did you think of Amber Heard in the film? Okay. This, in my opinion, it doesn't affect the movies. What it does is only create whatever is necessary for the movie, whether it's a smaller role or medium role or bigger role. It, the director did a very good job. Basically, in my opinion, it is well done and executed. Oh, one more thing. I love the background music, mostly the 70s music. They're well executed. This movie, compared to the previous DC movies, I think this one basically stands out. And with Marvel movies, especially the recent ones, there's different league. I think DC right now doing a very good job. Whoever said Aquaman may be the last one, which I doubt is, because you're going to see from the box office after the Christmas, you see the box office will go skyrocket, especially now. They choose a very good season to launch this movie. I think for Christmas time, not so many movies coming out, in my opinion. There may be some, but this one definitely is worth it to bring your family to see it. Yeah, And then you see it is worth it. Because a lot of movies, especially ladies, they're all rubbish. So guys, those are our thoughts. And as always, we would love to see yours. Have you seen Aquaman 2 yet? Are you going to? And if so, what did you think? Let us know down below. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this video, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Until next time.